Hi friends. Before we start this week's show, we want to acknowledge that this has been a deeply painful week as we all grapple with the violence in Las Vegas and other heartbreaking events globally. Though we are continuing our regular programming, please know that we're deeply troubled as we are sure each of you are. And we want to encourage you to be gentle with yourselves and with those around you as we seek to find a way forward together. Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 116 of the show, and we got to start with a special shout out and thank you to our listener supporters. Your $5 a month makes a big difference in keeping this show going. And so if our show, if our awesomes of the week, if our community, if any of that has added to your life, we would love for you to consider supporting us by going to sortaawesomeshow.com support. All of you awesomes who support Sorta Awesome also have access to special episodes that are not out there for the general public, as well as our exclusive Facebook group that we created just for our super awesome supporters. And oh my gosh, we have been having so much fun getting to know you all better over in that group. So again, if you want more information about supporting Sorta Awesome, it's all over at sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. Okay, so yes, here we are with episode 116 of Sorta Awesome, and this episode might raise a few eyebrows, but hopefully it will not step on your toes because you know we're going to bring you some awesome conversation and information that you need to know. Today, we are here to tell you to stop buying cheap clothes. And it's a good thing that I'm being joined by my dear friend and co-host and the host of the Smartest Person in the Room podcast, Laura Tremaine, because she also happens to be everyone's favorite Hollywood housewife, and she's someone who knows a thing or two about clothing. Laura, we have been talking about doing this episode for months, and I'm so excited that we're going to finally get to talk all things apparel and shopping today. We have lots and lots of words about how women (laughs) should be dressing these days. We do. I have an actual novel filled with notes for today's episode, so this will be fun. (laughs) We're going to be talking about everything from ethical shopping to investing in quality pieces for both everyday wear and beyond. And we are going to get to all of that clothing and shopping talk here in just a minute. But first, let's start the show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week, the moment in the show when we each get to share with you about the books or the TV shows, the podcasts, the music, whatever it is that is making our life a little bit more awesome this week. So Laura, I can't wait to hear about yours. Mine is a book. I know no one is surprised by that. It's a book (laughs) a lot of people are talking about though. And so I really wanted to give it a shout out here on the show. It's Brene Brown's latest book, Braving the Wilderness. Oh my gosh, everybody is talking about this. I haven't even picked it up yet, but it's in all of my social media feeds. It just came out earlier in September and it's very short. It's 208 pages. So it's the kind of thing that if you wanted to, you could read it in like a day. But I didn't do that. I sort of savored it and parsed it out. I like to do morning reading, which is sort of the way I start my day with like 20 to 30 minutes of reading some kind of nonfiction. So this fell into that category for me because I'm a huge Brene Brown 
fangirl. I think she is one of the most important teachers in America right now. And that's what she is. She's a teacher. I mean, by profession, she's a scientist, researcher, professor. But I mean like teacher in like the truest sense of the word. She's teaching us how to be. Yes. I really feel that way. I'm a really big fan. She has shaped a lot of my thinking in the last few years, starting with her TED Talk on vulnerability. That's a great place to start if you're new to Brene Brown. My very favorite book of hers is The Gift of Imperfection. Mm, Yeah. Which is really amazing, but it is hard work book it's like a therapy (laughs) session that book it is more traditional self-help a lot of people a big fan favorite of hers is daring greatly which has a lot of the principles from the gifts of imperfection but it's kind of has a lot more memoir weaved in and is sort of an easier read and then I also really liked her book from last year rising strong and then this book which is my awesome of the week is braving the wilderness now I will say if you are new to Brene Brown and I think a lot of our awesomes will not be But if you are, I don't think this is a book to start with Okay. in her work. Everything that I have learned and that has really changed me with Brene Brown's work has been very internal. It's really about yourself and changing yourself and recognizing things about yourself, being honest with yourself and feeling your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And recognizing when you're in a bad thought pattern or she does a lot of those things, which I love and is like amazing. Braving the wilderness, it's less internal and more external. So it's sort of like how you are interacting actually in the world. And the wilderness she uses is an example of when you are the only person that feels this way, that acts this way. Maybe it's in your family, you're a black sheep politically or in your church where maybe you believe something totally different or anything where you feel like you are having to be brave or you're not being brave at all that puts you in a quote unquote wilderness. Gotcha. Yes. Now I read this book. I don't, I was trying to think about this as I was reading it. I was like, am I totally like putting my own experience into this book or is this what she's saying? Because to me... Like huge chunks of it felt like she was talking about social media. Okay. Like how one interacts in social media. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if she is, that's certainly very timely and relevant and much needed. Much needed because a lot of it is what she's talking about is about conflict and how we have, especially in our country, United States, have become very black and white. You're either for us or against us on whatever fill in the blank issue. Like you are either for this or against it and that's it. Yes, absolutely. Everything. It's not just identity politics. It is identity everything. Everything is identity. Identity everything. Yes. 100% true. What you read, what you wear, even what we're talking about today. What you believe, where you live. Everything is identity, identity, identity. And how that has made us all very isolated from one another. So I read so much of it as how we are in the internet, how we act on the internet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that that's exactly what she's saying. That might just be Laura. The only reason I say that as I'm talking about it now is because I was actually thinking of a really good friend of ours, that a mutual friend of ours, that is not much on the internet and she's not on social media. And I was thinking, would she take as much from this book as I am being on social media all day, every day where I'm seeing all this divisiveness? If you're not on the internet all the time, are you seeing the ah. same divisiveness 
Right. Because one of the things that Brene talks about in the book, I say Brene like she's my friend, like, yes. like Oprah. My dear friend, Brene, yes. <laughs> is, you know, it's really hard to hate someone face to face. Yes. And so as I was thinking about our friend who's not much on the internet, I was like, I wonder if she feels as much hate. Most of her connections and interactions are face to face. She's not dealing with Twitter all the time. Right. Yeah. So anyway, most people who are listening to a podcast probably are on social media. I say that as a gross generality, but like, you know, they're probably very internet-y, maybe if they're listening to a podcast. So that note might not apply, but I just feel like it was worth mentioning for Braving the Wilderness. There's a lot of political stuff in here. So again, if that's a thing that you are just uninterested in reading about, that might give you pause. However, what I liked about it was, even if you don't agree with her particular political slant, she gets lots of examples and almost like scriptings of what to do if you're in a conversation with someone who you disagree with and how just agreeing to disagree is actually not getting us anywhere. It's obviously gotten us absolutely nowhere, worse and worse and worse off. Right. So it's like a weird line because some of the platitudes that you think you know about like just making the holiday dinner better for everyone and just be polite and don't speak about this and whatever – We've even talked about that on the show. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a terrible choice to make in the moment, of course, to keep the peace. But she really gives an argument for like braving the wilderness of like wading into some of these really hard conversations. And she gives, I think, almost a pep talk of it's okay for you to be in the wilderness of your family, of your community, of your church. Like we so deeply fear the hard conversation or being ostracized or we just, we fear that. And so in person, we clam up, which then makes us maybe lash out online. Ah, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to pick this up like right away. It and so, so good. it's okay to brave the wilderness. It is. And more of us should be doing it. Okay, well, my Awesome of the Week is going to go in the completely different direction of yours because you're saying maybe we need to be brave and get out there and engage. I'm like, sometimes we want to escape it all. (laughs) And I have the perfect place to go when you are ready to escape everything. And believe it or not, it is actually on YouTube. What I have for you this week is a YouTube channel that I'm completely and totally obsessed with. Now hang with me because Laura, I know you are not the biggest YouTube watcher out there. (laughs) I I just, YouTube is like, I would be braving the wilderness for me. (laughs) Well, I'm generally like that too. Everybody in my family has their favorite YouTube channels except for me, but I now have my favorite and it is so beautiful and so amazing. I can't wait to tell you about it. The channel is called The Michelax, and I will put a link in the show notes because the spelling's a little bit tricky, but The Michelax are a family who live in England. There is Dad Stefan, Mom or Mum, I suppose we would be saying, since this is a British family, Hannah, their little boy Grayson, and they have a brand new teeny tiny little baby. He's five weeks old. His name is Rufus. So YouTube in general is filled with family vloggers. People are doing video blogging, filming their lives, everything from everyday stuff like just going to Costco to trips to Disney, family vloggers. There's lots of playing with toys and unboxing things and all of that stuff. But you guys, the Michelax are a whole thing unto themselves. So Stefan, the dad, is a videographer. And each new video that he publishes every Sunday, a new one comes out, 
is like watching a little film or like a mini documentary. It's like 10 or 15 minutes. The production value of his work is insane. He obviously knows how to master the camera work. The film work is beautiful. He spends like a couple of days each week editing and just bringing it all down and putting it together. His sound direction is amazing. He obviously puts a lot of time and thought and care into the songs he chooses. All of it together, it comes together as just complete perfection. So sometimes it's just the film from their week, whatever they did. Sometimes he'll add in funny like little animations and little side stories to the week's film. Sometimes it will follow just Stefan's adventure. Sometimes it'll bring in Hannah and the kids. But there's just this nice little family that lives in Bath, England. They're young and attractive, but they're not like super glamorous. They're just regular people. And if you're sitting there wondering how my hillbilly ears... <laughs> which I have confessed to having, can understand it because they're British. I have to tell you, rest assured, it is a particular regional accent from Great Britain that I can totally understand. So if oh. I can understand it, anybody can. Wait, how do you find these families on YouTube? Oh my goodness, because my kids are on YouTube all the time. And you know, YouTube is always, you know, they're like all social media kind of platform analytics these days. They're always like suggesting things. And so my girls love to watch a lot of family vloggers and it was just a suggested video from YouTube for one of them and I kind of caught it over their shoulder as they were watching and I was like what is this and then I got Kyle watching it so we Kyle and I've been watching we've gone back a year or so and have just been watching a few episodes from their channel from the past like every night before we go to bed because it's so gorgeously done the family they're so charming and fascinating and it's very soothing so I just, I cannot say enough about it. So in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to put a link to sort of their intro video and then one of my favorites from their kind of recent history. It's so beautiful, Laura. I'm telling you, I know that you appreciate good filmmaking. I know you appreciate high production value. I hope that even you will give at least their little about video a try because it's so gorgeous and it's truly, truly like nothing else I'm seeing on YouTube right now. So I'm obsessed with the Michelax. Okay, now I'm curious. I admit, you got me curious. I can't wait. I can't wait for you to check it out. So those are our Awesomes of the Week. And we always look forward to hearing what your Awesome of the Week is every single Friday in our Hangout group, which you can find on Facebook by searching Sorta Awesome Hangout. Okay, so really, truly, why would we be spending a whole hour of Sorta Awesome talking about clothes? And I think it's really clear that clothing is important in our awesome community we talk about clothes and shopping a lot those questions and conversations come up all the time and obviously clothes are a very real part of life we all have to cover ourselves when we leave the house but i do want to make it really clear before we go into this conversation that we are not here to convince you that your shopping habits are all wrong that you've been making bad life choices <laughs> we're not here to lecture or preach we are here because we just have some really strong beliefs about clothing that we want to share with you so that you awesomes out there and I'm kind of talking to my own self here too, can be really fully equipped to have closets and drawers that are filled with clothes that make you really happy when you're looking at them instead of making you feel like, oh my gosh, I have nothing to wear. Or I look terrible in everything because I mean, really clothes are a big part of life and it's more about than just, you know, not being naked outside the house. Right, Laura? Yeah, clothes really matter. I think more than we want them to in a way because then some point you want to be like I've matured past 
caring what I think or I have different, I mean, I've matured past caring what I look like or I have higher priorities than what I look like or, you know, that kind of thing. But it really does affect your mood. Mm, Absolutely. And it can make you feel all the feelings like more human or more professional or prettier or sexier or more in charge. Like an easy example would be, you know, if you've been sick, you've had the flu for like a week and then you finally feel good enough to like take a shower and put real clothes on instead of your pajamas. (laughs) And you're like, oh my gosh, okay. I feel this is like the step to being a better human is to put on jeans. Yes. (laughs) exactly like you actually feel like you are your own self again after that I totally get what you're saying and then you know I mean everybody has examples of like when they have the perfect dress that really makes them feel beautiful or this suit is exactly what made me feel like a boss finally or you know whatever like it really does reflect what's going on on the inside can be reflected by our clothes even though we don't want it to be like if we're having a rough time and like all we can manage are our gross holy yoga pants then that's maybe truly all you can manage but it's almost like if you can fake it till you make it like okay I'm gonna force myself to put on an actual outfit and some lipstick every day this week well daggum if you don't feel a few steps better at the end of those seven days It's so true. And this kind of even ties back to what we were talking about a little bit in our We Don't Know What We're Doing episode where we were talking about working from home. It's a priority to me to really get up and get dressed in real clothing every day. I know not everybody who works from home feels this way. Some people are totally fine in more casual clothes and I could work in my pajamas if I wanted to, but I feel like I'm prepared to take on the world if I have on real clothes. And not my pajamas. Yeah, I also like, I sometimes do stay in my pajamas. I mean, I'll just be perfectly honest. (laughs) Although I do tend to put makeup on. What does that say about me? Anyway, (laughs) I don't like the feeling of being embarrassed when the doorbell rings. Or Mm, if I have to go run, pick up the kids, and I'm not planning on getting out of the car, but then I have to end up getting out of the car and like whatever. (laughs) I really like not just surface level, like, on kind of a deeper level, it really disturbs me to feel like I want to hide. Like I mm-hmm. always yes. want to feel like I'm in the world, <laughs> like I'm right. presentable, yeah. you know, and that was going to mean all kinds of different things to different people. But like, I know when I look like, you know, <laughs> I like grew up in the wilderness. I'm going to keep saying wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> That was a great callback, by the way. (laughs) So I just, I really like to have clothes on enough where if I have to get out of the car, I'm like not so embarrassed that I have on my flannel PJ bottoms from college. (laughs) (laughs) And another thing that I think is really important, even though we're talking about it for ourselves and how it makes us feel and that's the most important I also think that in a lot of scenarios, it sends a message to others about yourself. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you're going to give grace to the mom that you see occasionally at drop-off in her pajamas. But if she was that way every day, all school year, you are internally taking messages about what she thinks of herself and how she takes care of herself or doesn't or whatever. You want others to view you... In a favorable light, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean dress to the nines by 7 a.m., but, you know, seems like I care enough about this body that I'm in and the world that I'm in that I'm going to, like, you know, 
put on real clothes. Truly, I really do believe that what you choose to wear it's a big part of how people experience us because it's just it's the concrete way that we are presenting ourselves to the world. So absolutely. And it's an expression. All of the things that we kind of already know, but sometimes you forget in the busyness of life. Things that you cared about as a teenager of like, my clothes are really showing who I am. And then maybe as a grown up, you're like, okay, that's not totally true. Like, you know, but it really is an expression to say like, I'm artsy or I'm athletic or I'm very professional. You know, you are saying to the world, which then also says to yourself, it's like a circle of like, this is who I am. This is my value. Our friend Abby used to always say, dress for the day you want to have. Yes, I love that. And I have thought of it many times through Me the years. Me too, because you can want to have a powerful, wonderful day and be in the worst mood. And again, your clothes can change that just like lipstick. I'm just going to plug lipstick, even though this episode is about clothes. <laughs> I will heartily co-sign that as well. <laughs> Well, and sometimes too, clothing can even show up in sentimental ways. I mean, obviously, we all have memories of big moment days, like maybe your wedding day, or maybe coming home from the hospital with a baby, what you were wearing, or certainly we spend a lot of time thinking about babies coming home outfit. So that speaks, you know, kind of speaks a lot too, to the idea that clothing is important. But I think we all have sentimental connections to clothing. As we think about big moments in our life, Oftentimes, what we are wearing comes up as part of the story and part of the memory. For example, I remember the first date with my now husband, Kyle. He's been my husband for a very long time now. We were both in college. It was the winter of 1996. (laughs) (laughs) These many years ago. And for our first date, we went to a coffee shop and then to an intramural basketball game after that. And I remember specifically wearing a Woolrich wool plaid button-down shirt. I, of course, had on some mom jeans because that's all we had in the 90s. (laughs) Skinny jeans were a long ways off from being invented. Thank goodness. I I tied it all together with a brown leather Brighton belt, which that Brighton belt would be a signifier to maybe those of us who are in the South during a certain era in time. But yeah, I just have such fond memories of that night. And I remember clearly exactly what I was wearing. Same thing for my first day of teaching. I wore a chambray button down top with a skirt from Harold's, a maxi skirt from Harold's. Raise your hand if you remember our long lost and much beloved, (laughs) may it rest in peace, Harold's. Lars raising her hand, which was an amazing clothing brand out of Texas. It has now since bit the dust, but I had this Harold's maxi skirt that looked like a freaking Easter egg. It was bright yellow background with like a pink tulip, I think, floral print. It was a lot of color. I wore that for my first day of teaching. Thought that would be a good choice. And then many years later, when I co-wrote a book with a friend for my book release party, I picked out... One of my favorite pieces of clothing that I have ever owned was a hot pink vintage dress, vintage like party dress. It was so pink. And I wore a denim jacket on top to kind of tone down the hot pinkness of it. Laura, you were there. You remember you got to experience the hot pink, (laughs) that hot pink vintage number in real life. And I will never forget that night. It was so fun and so powerful for me in terms of writing and the message of the book and all of those things. And that dress really kind of topped it all off. So those are some of my life moments that I really specifically remember clothing. Do you have any of those 
stories too? Yeah, I'm guilty of keeping sentimental clothes for like way past them fitting me or being in style or anything. I just keep them in my closet. I can't bear to part with them for all kinds of reasons. One of my biggest clothing moments in my whole life came when I was brand new to Los Angeles. So I was 21 and, or 22, I guess I just turned 22. And I was babysitting for a family just to earn extra money. I did not have a full-time job yet. And I was really scraping by out here in LA. And the woman of the family who became a great mentor to me, and her name was Cindy, she needed me to stay overnight with her child while they did something, I don't know what. Anyway, she normally paid me in cash, like a babysitter, you know, normal thing. And anyway, what she asked if she could do for me, she would give me cash for some of the hours, but then she also asked if I would take payment in denim. And this was at the time, this was like 2001, early 2002, where like designer jeans were first on the Mm. scene. So like Juicy and what were some of those early jeans that were really expensive. Now, when I was in college, there were some other, it was like sort of creeping up. The cost of jeans was like really creeping up. And by this time, you know, this was like when jeans were like $150 for the first time ever. And I had never owned any jeans like that. I was a big like Levi's girl or thrift store jeans girl. And these jeans were really popular, but I would have never spent that. And she took me to Bloomingdale's. I'll never forget it. Bloomingdale's here in LA has a huge jean department. And I got to try on all these really expensive jeans. And she bought me a pair of sevens. Seven Mm. jeans. Mm -hmm. These were new and hot. They were so expensive. I mean, this would be expensive now. $175, I think. Then, you know, 15 years ago, it was like very, very, very expensive. And that's like, was like her payment for babysit for staying overnight. Yeah. And it meant so much to me. Like now when I'm looking back, I'm like, is that weird? But at the time to get a gift, I mean, it was a payment technically, so I didn't feel indebted to her over it. But like to get this thing that I never would have spent money on myself, I kept those jeans for forever. I bet you did. I bet. That was a big moment. It really was. And also, like, she was 10 years older than me or so, and I tried on a bunch of jeans that day, and so she was sort of giving me style advice in a way. It was like a whole experience wrapped into one, and I will just never forget it. And in fact, it's, like, led me to want to do that for someone in the future to be like, I don't know if it would be jeans or, like, their first nice dress or their first nice, I don't know, what, a handbag, whatever, that they would never be able to have on their own, but is, like, a piece, a staple piece that can really yeah. change a wardrobe. Yes. Oh, I bet you did hang on to those for a long time because that's a big thing. It's kind of a turning point moment almost. The only reason I ditched those jeans, in fact, because they would still be cute to this day, honestly, style-wise. Let's just say that they're a different size than (laughs) I wear now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely a different size than I wore in 2001. (laughs) So it just became depressing to hold on to them at a certain point. get it. I totally, totally get it. So clearly, Laura and I both really strongly agree that the types of clothes that you purchase, that you spend your money on, that you wear, it really matters. Now, here's what may be a little bit surprising to you all as you're listening. We agree on that. We also do not come to that conclusion for the same reasons all the time. In fact, we have really different reasons and I don't want to say justifications. Oh, motivations. We have different motivations for the reasons that we buy the clothing that we do. And that's why we're here to tell you both to stop buying cheap clothes and to start buying better clothes. Now, my reasons, you are probably not going to be surprised about this. My reasons have to do more with the ethical and ethical shopping side of clothing, of manufacturing. And 
you know, earlier this year, we shared on our episode about 10 documentaries to watch. We both talked about the fact that we have watched the documentary that's on Netflix, The True Cost, where it really examines the clothing industry and kind of traces from the way the fabrics are put together and the environmental and human aspects of that all the way up through manufacturing. And it's really eye-opening in so many ways that the clothing choices that we're making here in the United States and really in the West, it's not just the U.S., but in the West, the impact it has on the humans around the world who are making our clothing. In fact, 75 million people are employed as garment workers today. 80% of those garment workers globally are women, and most are about 18 to 24 years old. And so as women are leaving their homes and whatever education is available to them in the country of origin that they're from, they're finding their way into garment worker jobs in factories all around the world. The majority of people who are garment workers globally earn less than $3 a day. Mm. And so when we're talking about cheap clothing, a term that gets used a lot today is fast fashion, which kind of is the jumping off point for the True Cost documentary. And it's the idea, it's fast because it's made quickly in factories that are not even, they're not set up to make high quality clothing. The factories themselves use really, really like the cheapest possible machinery to make the clothing that we're wearing when we're buying fast fashion. So they're not even capable of making high quality clothing that's going to last. And they're not supposed to. They are meant to be worn for literally a few months and then tossed. And that's the idea behind kind of fast fashion. There's fast turnaround for these garments. So when it comes to the bottom line, and it's and a factory is trying to cut corners so that when the Gap or J. Crew or Nike or whatever you know, whenever people come from those corporate headquarters over to visit with factories and see how cheaply can you make these clothes. And the factories are always looking to be able to bid the, okay, we can make this the absolute cheapest. The first corners that they cut are, they affect the humans who are working there. So they are not maintaining factories. They are, in some cases, there's not a bathroom on premises. And again, we're talking about factories that employ hundreds of women and there's no bathroom on the premises of the factory. They have to go out and go across the street or find a restroom close by to use. It's notorious, the garment industry overseas and sometimes in the United States as well is notorious for issues of sexual harassment. There's the human cost for sure that we want to consider as we are making our clothing choices. The other thing is the pressure that fast fashion and cheap clothing puts on our planet. Not only is there an environmental toll when we are looking at like the actual fibers themselves, the cotton, the wool, the, all the different fibers that go into creating clothing, when everything is needing to be done as cheaply as possible, of course, we're not going to make the most environmentally responsible decisions because those cost more money. And so we're cutting those out of the budget and we're trying to, these companies are trying to look for the cheapest possible material and fibers to work with. So there's that environmental toll. And then on the other end of it, wait, did I say I wasn't going to lecture? <laughs> no, this is good because it's like, you know, these things sort of niggling in the back of your head, but like hearing right. you really spell it out is, it's good. It's good. You're not lecturing us, okay. Megan, you're teaching us. <laughs> okay. Well, 
On the other end, because these clothes are meant to not be worn for very long, they go one of two places. So they, you either just throw them away, which is kind of what the fashion industry has in mind that you're going to do when you're done. It's meant to be worn for a couple of months, and then it's literally trashed. <laughs> so you put it in the trash, and it ends up in landfills, landfills here in the United States, where 12.8 million tons of our clothing are sent to landfills in the U.S. every year. Wow. Or even worse, they are shipped out overseas. And so this is that happens both with our clothing that's tossed. And then you think, okay, well, I'm not going to throw these clothes away. I mean, somebody somewhere could wear them. So I'll just go donate them. Well, if you donate them into a big nationwide type center that accepts donations and resells them, Goodwill, for example, oftentimes what will happen to clothing that doesn't sell in a Goodwill store is those are all taken and compressed and packaged down. And then those are shipped overseas to developing countries. And it's like, oh, look, the people can buy t-shirts, American t-shirts. They can buy my old college Chi Omega t-shirt that I should have gotten rid of a long time ago. I still have a few of. They can buy them for a dollar each, which on the one hand, this is the free market. And sure, that sounds great for the people who might need access to cheap clothing that Americans don't want anymore. The problem with that is that that really depresses the economy of local garment makers and local small businesses that are trying to innovate and create jobs and create industry in their own countries. They can't compete with a dollar t-shirts tossed off from Goodwill. And so again, it continues to have, it's a ripple effect that starts in the West and ripples outward across the planet of ways that fast fashion is just, it's not good for the humans that we are on this planet at the same time with. So those are my big feelings. <laughs> I'm going to take a minute and let you make your case <laughs> for your reasons why you don't like cheap clothes either. And we need to stop buying them. Well, your argument is a lot better, frankly. Better for the soul, better for the world. My argument is that cheap clothes look cheap. Mm, they do. They yep. are unflattering almost always. Now, you can maybe find an exception or two and you think, well, this doesn't look that cheap. And maybe it doesn't upon first wearing, but it will because it's cheap. So it's going to pill or tear or loosen, you know, really, really stretch out either by wearing or in the wash. Cheap clothes look cheap, especially after a few wears. And so then, you know, people don't look as good as they could because it's something that's just sort of hanging off of them or there's like threads going. They just don't look good. I want to say it nicer than that. I'm having a hard time finding the words. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to say it, and that's fine. Now, listen, I'm not being high and mighty here. I buy cheap clothes because I like trendy clothes. Mm, yes. So mm -hmm. I'm like the first to fall for some kind of trendy thing. I really like the designer collaborations with Target. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really like Zara. I can purchase from H&M. These are like really trendy things. There are other big box stores that I like to buy, but they're of nicer quality like J. Crew, Anthropology, places like that. Those two stores are, are nicer quality, but they're also on the trendier side. But I only say that to mean like I fall for it. I get why you're like, oh my gosh, this is only $5 or this is really cute and it's trendy and I don't want to spend a lot of money on a trendy thing. Like I get why you buy the cheap clothes outside of strict budget reasons that they're appealing like in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah, I get it too. But they fall apart. 
So you're not saving the money that you think that you're saving. Like you're That's like, so I'm going to spend $20 on Old Navy jeans. Well, I haven't bought Old Navy jeans in a long time because every time I bought them, they stretched out. Always the butt would always sag. Always. Mm-hmm. Or the seam and the hem would come loose. Like whatever. Like, and so even though you spent $20, $25 on them, whatever they are now, I had to replace them every year. So pretty soon I have spent what I would have spent with, I have had several pairs of designer jeans that I have had for years and years and years. I mean, in my closet right now, years and years. Maybe you're saving that money that day or on the front end, but you're not saving the money over time and they might not look as good or flatter your body, you know, really show off your curves or be modest in the way you want or be less modest in the way you want. Like all the things that go into clothes and how they make you feel and how they present to others. I feel like if it's ratty looking, then you've like missed the boat. (laughs) Right. So a few things that I want to point out in my argument for cheap clothes looking cheap is that there are things that you can look for in better clothes. Like if you are at a store and you're not really sure, or if you're at a thrift store and you're looking for better quality for a lower price, or if you are unsure of the quality of an item, no matter what store you're at, there's a few things to look for. The first one is the fabric. Okay. That seems obvious, but it's not always because synthetic fabrics now are better than they used to be. So you can be tricked by a polyester Mm. or whatever these days. So go ahead and look at the label. Look for 100% of a natural fiber, like a cotton or a wool or a silk, or, you know, a very high percentage, above 90%, because a lot of clothes now want to add a little stretch in or something, so they have blended it with some other kind of thing. But like a very high percentage of the natural fiber. Also check that the seams and the buttons are tight. So there's the little stitches in all of the seams. They should be small, and they should be very tight. Oh my gosh, I never knew that. This is brand new information. Always look at seams. Seams are really important. Okay. okay. And look at the seam on the outside and then kind of turn it inside out and look at the seam on the inside. Okay. All right. Um, I really, truly did not know that. I'm super learning stuff today. So good. Because a loose seam is going to be one of the things that makes it fall apart. Also, that the buttons are on tight because that's another thing that will go off of a cheap clothing item quickly is the buttons will become very, very loose and Oftentimes, the cheap clothes won't give you replacement buttons. Also, another gimme, kind of the one that everyone knows, the one that my mom preached to me all the time, is lining. Look for something with lining. Yes, and it's so hard to find. It really is. If you're looking at fast fashion, you're not going to find lined clothes. Absolutely not. You have to be looking at a higher price point, and it is so worth it. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on your... You're part of this. But I feel really strongly about line clothes. Lining is really good. It is hard to find. Even in some high-end clothes, they don't line anymore for whatever reason. I don't know if it's fallen out of fashion with fashion. But lined clothes, and check what the lining is, if it's like a silk lining or if it's like a, again, like a polyester-y kind of yucky lining. But nicely lined clothes, not only protect your skin and the fabric if it's nicer fabric but it makes everything hang better it gives like a weight to the skirt or the pants or the whatever blouse it makes everything hang the way it's supposed to hang versus like getting a little tug out one way or whatever you know what I mean like lining makes things better always Mm -hmm. always yes 
Amen. So those are some of the things to look for if you're like, oh, well, I'm not really sure what kind of store I'm in or what kind of quality these clothes are. Those are the things I always look for. Fabric, seams, lining. Those are some really practical guides. Super good. Because truly, you could even be in a higher-end department store like Nordstrom or something and not exactly know, like, is this actually well-made? So those are some good guidelines to look at. Another thing I thought of to kind of, like, add on to what you're saying in terms of, like, cheap clothes look bad on you sometimes it's easier to ignore the human toll and the environmental toll because it's not like right there in our face but you really hit on a big part of why it's bad for us as women and it's definitely because it doesn't look good on us but also this is a great example of planned obsolescence Like they are planning for you to spend your money on something that you should throw away. Now, some of us try to hang on to some of this fast fashion stuff for like a couple of years and then it looks really bad on us. But they plan for you to throw it away and buy the next thing. I was listening to an episode of a podcast called Adam Ruins Everything. And it's episode 22. He interviews a professor named Laura McAndrews. The name of the episode is Why Fast Fashion Fails Us, and I will, of course, link in the show notes. But she works in the garment, or she is a professor now, but she spent many years working in the retail garment industry. And she said, when our mothers were growing up, and certainly when our grandmothers were growing up, there were four seasons of clothing in the stores. There was fall, winter, spring, and summer. That was it. The clothing stores were shipped their clothing for the beginning of the season, and that was it. Now there are 11 to 15 seasons of clothing Mm. for retailers. They want to get you in there to buy the trend, which again, listen, I buy trendy things, so I'm not totally just coming off of a, you know, a high horse here, but they plan for you to keep coming back. They have designed these clothes to be disposable, the materials that they're making them with, and they want you to come back and buy something else and come back and buy something else. So it's bad for us and it's bad for our like pocketbooks, for our clothing budgets to spend our money on these fast fashion, these cheap clothing things. Also, you can't buy cheap clothes and then be bummed out when they don't look so great two years later. Like I've seen people be like, I'm so bummed that this shirt didn't last very long. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're like, but really? Like you paid $10 for it. That's just not how... That's not how it was made. It's not how it was made. It wasn't. It was meant to be worn for a short time and tossed. Okay, so you may be sitting here like, okay, so I'm tracking with you, I guess, you jerks. But what am I supposed to do to buy clothes? Now, listen, here's something I have found, a situation I found for myself. A lot of times when I do have to just like run into a store and get something, it's because I like last minute realize like, I don't have anything to wear to this. So I'll just like pop in at Old Navy or I'll pop in at the mall and, you know, whatever store. So sometimes it takes a little bit of intentionality. And this is actually a reason why I think that capsule wardrobes are a fantastic idea Mm -hmm. where you plan out, okay, for this fall and maybe even going into winter, if you live in a fairly mild place like I do, this is what I'm going to be wearing for cold weather for the next few months. And you really intentionally plan. These are my tops. These are my bottoms. These are the shoes I'm going to wear. And it gives you a minute to shop and research. Again, a lot of us are going to find ourselves running into a store to pick up something last minute or something catches our eyes. We're walking past at Target. But if you can take a little time and if you have some budget to work with on the front end of things, plan it out. It's not quite the task to make good quality clothing decisions. 
So when it comes to like ethical shopping, ethical fashion, sustainable fashion, lots of us know some of the big names that are out there. I mean, Patagonia has been around for forever. They're super committed to environmentally responsible clothes. Everlane is a new company. I feel like I might be a little old for Everlane personally. I don't know. (laughs) Our friend Abby, who you were talking about, I just saw her this weekend. She was wearing some really cute clothes that were very Everlane. Crochet Kids is another one that has become really popular. So the great news is that there are companies out there that are putting out all kinds of ethically made, sustainable fashion that you can find. Again, it takes a little bit of research on the front end of things. You really want to look for companies that have transparency about their process. And a company I want to call out is doing a great job of this is Ishakti. You may be familiar with Ishakti. They're the company where they basically kind of make custom clothing for you. They have clothing examples that you look at on their website, but then you can change all kinds of things about them. You can change the neckline, the sleeve length, the skirt or trouser length. You can also have them made to your measurements for like $10 more than they list clothes for. So it's a brilliant business idea, but they are super transparent about the way their clothing is made. You can go to on their website in their about section. It talks about how most of their clothing is made in in but that they uphold the labor laws. They have a minimum age requirement of 18. They exceed the local minimum wage by 70%. And they just tell all kinds of details about the whole process of how their clothing is made. So it may not be made here in the United States, but they're completely transparent about the production of their clothing. And they are really committed to creating quality clothing that women look awesome in because it's made to your actual measurements. So that's a great example. I love the idea of going on Etsy or purposefully seeking out small businesses or women-owned businesses and supporting them with your shopping. Again, something that you might have to put a little research into on the front end, but small businesses look for gaps in the market and they seek to fill those gaps with their business, with their innovative solutions. So for example, there's an up-and-coming t-shirt company based here in the U.S. called Tapered Collection. And the woman who started it, her name's Astrid, she was sick to death of not being able to find good quality t-shirts that weren't sheer and that hung on you the way t-shirts are supposed to hang on you. So she started a business called Tapered Collection and she has really cute t-shirts. Now the price point's going to be a little bit higher. It's over $40 for a t-shirt, but it's going to look amazing on you and you can know that you're supporting a woman-owned business in that sense. And I'll put some links for to some other ideas in the show notes. But lastly, I wanted to say you can also be an activist with your fashion these days. And this is kind of an idea that's always been around. People have always expressed themselves, as we were talking about earlier, with their clothing. But now you can actually have your politics or your beliefs or what you're into on your t-shirt or whatever, like Rabble and Rouse, another women-owned company. They specialize in activist t-shirts. There's another company that was started by a Lebanese immigrant. Her family fled Lebanon Civil War when she was a little girl. Now she's a fashion designer and she started a company called Slow Factory. And she uses all of her designs to make a difference in the world. So there's so many amazing ways that you can participate in ethical, sustainable shopping if you take a little bit of time to plan ahead. But Laura, I know you have some really specific ideas on how we can stop buying cheap clothes and where to go to do that. Okay, I broke mine down into you you kind of have just want to do some baby steps or if you're kind of ready to purchase or if you're going to go for the gold. Yes. (laughs) I have like three levels of where a person may be on their quest to buy better clothes. And I do want to say some of the places I mentioned, I did not research if they are environmentally friendly or whatever. So I don't want our arguments to be at odds here. I just want to be like obvious about that. (laughs) 
So if you are just want some baby steps, you're not quite ready to purchase, you don't know even what you want or need yet, I really encourage people to look through Pinterest or to follow some fashion bloggers. I think that fashion bloggers get a really bad rap because the biggest, most popular ones are often wearing like Valentino or, you know, doing the runway or whatever, which is just not regular life for most people. There are tons of fashion bloggers out there that do like everyday wear. So Kendi Everyday comes to mind. I've always loved her and I think she does really normal person type of style. Yes. Yes, I'm a huge Kendi fan from way back. Yeah, she's great. And there's lots of others if you just sort of Google like fashion over 40, whatever, like sort of everyday fashion, that type of thing. There's really good people that come up. If you don't want to necessarily follow them on social media, like you're just not dying to have fashion come through your feed every single day, I get that. So then just spend a few hours going through their blogs. Most of those blogs will have either a start here or my favorites or find your style or like that kind of thing. Like maybe actually sit down with some intention instead of like clicking around and being like, this makes me feel like crap and I hate clothes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that, I, I can be that way for sure. And I know a mm-hmm. lot of people can be that way. And that's why there's like click out and I don't want to get on Pinterest. It just makes me feel bad or whatever. Just search for some things that like a woman with a style that you really like that works for whatever your situation is. That's the baby steps. Now, if you actually feel like you're ready to maybe make some purchases or you have a list, like I really need some nicer jeans. I really need a nice dress that can work in a few ways or whatever. If you have some things in mind, shop at better stores. If you go to a decent department store, I'm only speaking for Los Angeles because that's my experience. But here at both Nordstrom and at Bloomingdale's, they have personal shoppers. Mm, So you might have to make an appointment. You can just call the store and say, do you have the personal shopper thing? A lot of times the people that work at those stores or as a personal shopper, you know, who are listed in that level. And they know what you mean when you might call and ask that. That They're not going to be like, what are you talking about? A lot of those people have either been in retail for a long time and so they've seen body types. They know what to pull for you or they might even be like stylists in training. So they're working at this retail store because this is like their passion. This is what they want to do. Let someone else who knows what they're doing pull items for you. They will always pull things that you kind of don't want to put on because you don't like it on the hanger Mm -hmm. or you don't think it's your style or it's not a size that you would have pulled for yourself. You have to let all of that go. Don't look at the size. I mean, you might give them, I normally wear this size, and they might bring you a different size. That might be because they know that this brand runs small or large. Mm -hmm. That might be because they can see that perhaps you're not wearing the right size. Professionals are not going to call you out on that. They just might bring you some things to try on. Just zen out about it. Don't look at the tags. Just try on the things that they bring. You may not like any of it, but I promise it will be a learning experience. Yeah. I say these big department stores, even if you're anti-department store or that overwhelms you, because while I like little small boutiques and I have a few here in LA that I love, they seem to be staffed more by like young college girls or something. Right. Who aren't necessarily specialists in the clothing lines. Yeah. Maybe they're in fashion school or something, but they are not there yet. Mm -hmm. I have had much better luck with older women, Mm -hmm. or at least my age women, pulling stuff for me at a department store or if it's a 
boutique that you know has a reputation for this. If you kind of ask your friends, places will have a reputation for this if you don't live near a higher-end department store. Obviously, the very high-end department stores have this, Neiman Marcus, et cetera, whatever. But you might want to call ahead. If you are a little freaked out by entrusting that to a stranger, although, of course, always remember, there's no pressure to purchase. You can always just be a learning experience for yourself. Like, I'm just going to research what looks good on my body. Mm -hmm. Or I'm just going to research, like, the brands that maybe I like. And here's why that is key. If you find a brand that you really love, for a long time, I'm a little bit moving away from this, but for a long time, I was very consistently fitting into a specific size at Kate Spade. So I knew then it was my style. That size always worked for me. You know, sometimes like some brands, like there might be a different size in a dress than it is in a shirt or whatever. It's like very confusing. For me, for a long time, Kate Spade was very consistent in its sizing and style for me. So that meant I could buy it online. That's why that's important. Because if you find a brand that you really like, you don't have to like do this. If you're not a big shopper, you can be like, I know this is going to fit me and I like the way it looks and whatever. So I can buy it online. But you probably do have to do the front end like research time of trying it on. But again, if you don't want to do a retail type situation, then ask your most stylish friend to go with you. Ooh, that's a good call. I like that. Now listen, I'm a solo shopper. I actually really, really don't like shopping for myself with others. But the few times I have done it, I have a friend. Her name's Chris Ann. I love her very much. She and I have a very similar style and we're a similar size. You don't have to be a similar style or size. When I shop with her, it's amazing because we are on the same page. In general, I like shopping by myself. If I was looking for something specific and I maybe didn't know what that was, I would ask my most stylish friend to go with me. Just like the worker, she's going to pull different things for you. She is going to push you in a direction you might not want, you know, know. Mm -hmm. You know, like friends, friends are the best. Now, if you really want to go for the gold, hire a stylist. This is a big budget expenditure for a lot of people. Stylists are expensive for a reason. They can be very expensive, hundreds of dollars for one day of like going shopping with them. I did this. She was my friend, Bethany, although we weren't really good friends when we first started because my husband had a movie coming out. I had a few red carpet things I needed. So she took me shopping. It was one day. We bought a lot of different things. But more than that, I learned so much from her in one day that it was worth those hundreds of dollars. I haven't used her again since. Right, right. Yeah. And that was like a very specific need years ago. And I took so much from it. So if you are like really going to shoot for the moon here, hire a stylist. You can do this. You really can. There's like some cheaper ways to do this, I guess. Like you can have a stylist through Trunk Club. Offers a personal Mm -hmm. stylist that you like. Trunk Club is owned by Nordstrom, Mm. just so that you know that. But then they do like look at you and it's actually a conversation. But I think their fee is wrapped up in your Trunk Club fee. So I don't think that you pay them extra. That's basically the same idea as what I said earlier is like going to a higher end department store and using their personal shopper is similar to what that is. That's wrapped into what you're going to purchase at that store. Right, right, right. So those are the three ways. Look online, really like with intention, look online, shop at better stores, hire a stylist, 
if you have a real need or if you're trying to make a real transformation. Yes, I totally agree. And I hope that these have been really practical ideas to kind of just get you started thinking. And listen, I know that many, 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 many of our awesomes are moms or people who are in a circumstance where maybe you're like, oh, I just can't even imagine spending a lot of money on clothes right now. I want to gently suggest that you consider just buying or putting money in the budget or maybe, you know, the holidays are coming up. Maybe you have some holiday money coming your way to spend on yourself. Consider buying something that is out of the price point that you would normally spend on clothing that is going to be something that you can feel like it's an investment for where you are right now. Even if you don't weigh what you used to, you don't wear the same size, your body looks different than it used to, you as a human being still deserve to have a few moments to have that one time that you go into a store and you're like, I am going to do this for myself. This may not be the size I am for the next five years, but I'm going to have this time to do this one thing for myself because we are so connected to the way that we dress and the way that we present ourselves to the world. So I'm gently suggesting it that you do that. I'm going to say one quick thing about size. And I'm saying this from my own personal experience literally within the last year. I've held on to clothes that are too small for a really long time and they make me feel bad about myself. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're cute clothes and they were expensive clothes when I bought them. But when I put them on and they're too tight, I really have an emotional yes. spiral. It's a moment. It's a bad emotional moment for sure. And I have even forced myself, again, this is not this is recently, forced myself to wear it anyway because it's okay. And I felt bad all evening. It was too Mm. tight. It pulled. I was very self-conscious about how it looked. If you think for whatever reason, because of fit or size or quality, like, well, it's not that bad. It's probably bad. (laughs) That's a great litmus test. It really is. And I went ahead and purchased just a few items of a bigger size. And I'm so much happier in those pieces. Yes, exactly. I look better in them. They look better on me. I'm comfortable. I'm not like sucking in or tugging or, you know, doing anything. And it is a better, like you said, people are experiencing me more relaxed and I am being more relaxed in my clothes. Yes, it's so true. And so just as much as it's a bad moment when you try on the thing and it's too small and it's bad emotionally, You deserve to have a good moment where you put on the thing that fits just right. It feels good and you know it's going to last. It's not meant to be in your closet for a few weeks. It's going to last. You deserve the goodness of that moment. Mm -hmm. So I hope this has been helpful for you all. Like I said, Laura and I have been thinking about and talking about doing this show for a long time. So we finally were able to sit down and have this conversation. So we know you have lots of big thoughts and feelings about clothing and shopping as well. So we'd love to hear your follow-up thoughts, whatever those may be on social media. So Laura, remind us where we can find you all around the web. You can find all my channels at lauratremaine.com. Meg and I also have a side podcast that's running right now. We would love for you to listen to it. It's called Smartest Person in the Room. You can find it at smartestpersonintheroom.com or in your favorite podcast app. I'm also on Twitter at Laura Tremaine and on Instagram at laura.tremaine. So awesome. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at sorta awesome Meg. Our show is also on Twitter. If you're over there, you can find us at Sort of Awesome Pod. We can't wait to hear what you have to say about this week's episode. And thanks so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. 
Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.